0: Welcome to the New Books Network. You're listening to New Books in Geography, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm your host for today, Stentor Danielson, from the Department of Geography, Geology, and the Environment at Slippery Rock University. Today, I'll be talking to Kat Button, editor, along with Gerald Taylor Aiken, of Over-Researched Places, who has a critical and reflexive approach published this year by Rutledge. Dr. Button, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you. To start off, why don't you tell our listeners a bit about your background and how
1: you came to write this book? Hi. So I'm... Wow, I can't even start the first question, sorry. <laughs> Hello, so I'm the Director of Planning and Urban Design in the School of Architecture, Planning and Landscape at Newcastle University. Uh, but my PhD was in Geography, and that's how myself and the other editor, um, Gerald Taylor Aiken, met. Um, And we started to think through our own research about the different ways in which, well, I'm not sure if anywhere can be over researched, but the way in which certain places and certain ideas become very saturated with people looking into them, people inquiring into them. And for me, it was whilst I was doing my PhD and I was doing research in Mumbai, in India. And I would find I was even sharing the room with other people interviewing the same person. The, that researcher saturation had got to that point that that people didn't have time to meet researchers individually and were meeting people together. And when you went to conferences, finding that a quote would be put up and I'd be thinking, oh yeah, I spoke to that person. So it became this kind of interest for me to think, well, what does that do to my data? You know, not that we can deny that these things are happening, but kind of to try and be present in that and understand how that might shape the ways in which we think. And so myself and Gerald put together a call for papers for the RGS-IBG conference in 2018, which is the Royal Geographical Society with the Institute of British Geographers. It's an annual conference, usually held in London, but that year was in Cardiff in Wales. Um, and we used that as a chance to get together some people who were also thinking about these issues in other contexts and how other places of inquiry might be, you know, these kind of honeypot sites where lots of people were going and try and unpack why that was happening and what the the consequences of that might be. And it seemed like that was something that excited quite a lot of people as a way of thinking about places. And so from that, we, we developed the idea of putting together this this collection.
0: Okay, so when I first saw the title of the book, the thing that came to my mind was the idea of research fatigue, where people get tired of having researchers, constantly wanting to interview them and, and survey them and stuff. Um, so how is your concept of over-research different from just research fatigue?
1: Yeah, so research fatigue is a really related concept to thinking of over-research, and I think it's part of it. But doesn't go far enough. So yes, research fatigue certainly. But if someone is getting constantly researched, then they're going to show signs of fatigue. Going to rehearse answers. As I said, they might bring several researchers together. They'll just tell you to look at the website. You know that people or just say no because people do get certainly extremely fatigued. Um, but this is to go further than that to say there's other things going on as well. Um, and I think each chapter takes a slightly different angle and looks at a different case study, a different place to unpack that. But also to go further and to think about the consequences of that, because I think very often the research fatigue gets discussed in the methods, maybe, and then it gets left and just be like, oh, yeah, research fatigue. But actually, like, but what does that seriously mean? You know, what can we go further? Can we look into that? more detail and think about so what what is the consequence of someone being fatigued because there's too many researchers or you know does this have an effect on the on the data more generally because it becomes easier to research a certain place because there's lots of researchers um, and it becomes you know the place to go and do that research so it's not necessarily a person being over researched, but lots of people being in one place. Can a place have research fatigue? I don't know. Um, so yeah, it's trying to take that concept further and say that's a part of it. And that I think is sort of a useful starting point to think about research fatigue. But then it's really sort of thinking, well, so what? There's something more going on. We can go beyond the research fatigue and and dig a bit deeper into the, the different consequences of having lots of people looking at the same place or the same thing or the same people
0: yeah so could you talk a little bit more about some of those consequences not just for the people being researched but also for the research itself the research that we're getting out of these The you know i like that term honeypot uh for these sites that get researched so much that this has consequences for the research not just for the people being researched
1: yeah so you can end up being tied into certain fashions can't you that there's certain places that then become the places to research either because they're exceptional or because as i said they become easy to research because other people have trodden that path and then that could be quite limiting because you'll keep going their path of resistance and then we might end up making theories and extrapolating from a few case studies that might be quite exceptional because those have been the places that were accessible, that were those honey pots that lots of as researcher bees have been visiting, um, and creating, you know, ideas based just on those.
0: Yeah. And then why do certain places become over researched? Why is it that that people would um, you know, all be congregating to the same place to research
1: it? It's a good question. And you know, I think one thing that we wanted to think about was actually can somewhere be over researched? Maybe that, you know, that somewhere can't be. Maybe you can't really saturate a place. But people do tend to congregate. As I said, I think partly it's because those are often the interesting place it is. Something about them has, has captured you like mumbai being a very rapidly growing city being you know an economic center for a country um being a mega city and those kind of conditions mean that lots of people can go there because they, you know, they can be supported by the infrastructure there that there's something interesting and exceptional about that place and then i think it becomes a bit of a self fulfilling prophecy because well, I've read lots of things about that place. I can find out a lot about a certain place because there's already lots of research on it. So it means that, oh, well, that might be a good place to add to that data on that place and, you know, create your project that's building on previous researchers, which is great, but it means that it can end up being the same places that are visited. And as I said, I think it then also becomes, in some ways... You know, an easier place to research because people understand what the research processes are. That they understand, you know, what it is to be interviewed, or um, a place will understand. You know, people in a place will understand what those processes are and might um, be more accepting of them rather than having to to understand the premise of researchers. So I can see why certain places become become these honeypots. We do have one chapter in the book that's actually about a place that is rarely researched um, and Hannah's chapter sort of thinking about, you know, why is it that somewhere it might be under-researched to kind of give like a counterpoint. Um, and there is, there is another book uh, that she edited on that as well. So that's Hannah Rizchek, who did one of our chapters. So I think, you know, also trying to think about that there is a counterpoint that some places kind of don't get looked at, don't get seen and try to understand, you know, why is that? And, you know which do you want to be do you want to be in the place that where there's lots of people and lots of previous research or do you want to be treading into the the new territory in somewhere where lots of people haven't researched and i'm not sure there's an answer to that i guess it depends exactly what you're looking at and and why you're doing that but i think that's another interesting thing about the book that it's looking at really different global case studies so my entry point. Was a mega city and a really fast-moving, vibrant place with millions of people, but we also have authors tech- talking about the Arctic and the Arctic as an over-researched place. So I think there's a huge contrast in different ways that that the different chapters in the book are presenting this concept of over-research and how that might feel to the researcher. Yes,
0: yeah, so that actually kind of leads into another question that I wanted to ask, which was about how you selected the, the chapters that went into this and the range of places that are covered. You've mentioned a few, you know, Mumbai and the Arctic, uh, Palestine, uh, Redfern and Sydney. Um, you know, so these are as a global set of places, but how did you go about choosing what places represent the idea of places that get talked about too much basically
1: yeah well it when we started looking into this it seemed like there were you know limitless possibilities of places and ideas that people had I think people don't often talk about the difficulties they have in research but if I would talk about my research processes in Mumbai and how often I was seeing other researchers and you know once at one point I shared a I was doing an interview with someone and a whole class full of students were brought in to talk to her and she was much more interested in talking to them. All these different anecdotes that, you know, you talk to colleagues about and almost everyone I spoke to was like, oh yeah, I've had this issue of, and they would be finding examples of over research from their own work. And I thought, that's interesting. So actually there was a huge range of places where, where this could have been. but in some ways, this was quite self-selecting. So we put out the call for papers for the conference in 2018 and had a selection of papers that were delivered there and had some great conversations. And then from that, um, Twitter's not as popular now as it was in 2018, but we were tweeting about it during the session and we had a bit of interaction about it. And from that, in we were able to invite a few other people and... Um, one of the authors, Chandni uh, Singh, um, wrote a blog post about th- this concept of over-research. And so we we invited her to submit a chapter and a few other people that had shown interest. So it was in some ways sort of self-selecting and who had come forward and shown an excitement about about creating a chapter for this book. And then when we looked at it, we thought that's actually a really great, great spread um, of different places and different topics that people were looking into Um, because I think the geographical spread is important but also the way in which people have approached it Um, because a lot of this is thinking about positionality, that we've got some people who are seeing themselves as somewhere between a a tourist sometimes and a researcher Um, some people seeing themselves like going back to somewhere where they had previously spent a lot of time Um, so I think there's a range of things and also thinking in different concepts and thinking about how places have changed over time, um, about how somewhere like Yugoslavia might be. It's not that the place is over research, but the way that it is reproduced in that research and that the same narrative might be told over and over again. So there were, it's about a good spread of places in the world, but also of the different positionalities and the different approaches that people have taken to unpacking what over research looks like in their research.
0: Yes. And then another theme that crops up a number of times is the way that kind of the structures of academia, right? Like the expectations that we have and the limits that we have as, you know, a university researcher, which most of the people uh, that are writing here, that's kind of the, the position they have to go do research. Um, the way that the, the structure of that position affects the way that they can deal with the various issues that arise in trying to do research in an over-research place, trying to, you know, be be ethical and also be responsible in their research and the way they do it, that that's constrained by the demands of academia. So could you talk a little bit about that idea about the way that, you know, the way the position of being a researcher is set up. Uh, affects what we can do when we engage with an over-researched place.
1: Yeah, I think it's something that perhaps doesn't get reflected on very often, that how when we go and research somewhere, we might even in incremental ways be changing that place and changing what other people might think about that place as well. Um, So it emerges, you write, as a theme across quite a few chapters. Um, I mean, sort of thinking about the chapter on Palestine and Israel and how the number of researchers there really changing that narrative and changing potentially the stories and support levels and how do you navigate that field um, as a place of research. And in my own chapter thinking about, I, I talked to, about it as ghosts of researchers past, present and future just to thinking about those kind of echoes that, that we do leave. And I think the book sort of calls us to be mindful of that and to think about it because, you know, in the ethics that we do, it's very often about our research and exactly what we will do in that space of time when we're physically doing the, the research, doing our interviews or our surveys or whatever methods we might use, but quite contained within that moment. And I actually have a bit of a reflection, particularly about what we do might create for the future researcher that, you know, that we might, you know, upset someone that we interview and they never want to be interviewed again, or how, you know, if we're making the path easier or harder, or just by the fact of doing that research, meaning that some place is becoming over-researched. And I don't know, it's a really complicated complicated question and really ethical question um that I think you're right that a lot of the authors kind of struggled with this idea and the shifting of their positionalities as well that that you know am I an activist in some moments and a researcher in other moments and how do you ethically position yourself within that but I think all of it comes from just being mindful of the process and of the other people involved in that moment but also who's gone before you and who's coming after you within that potentially over-researched place
0: yeah so i now want to circle back to something that you kind of touched on in an earlier answer which is the idea that we're specifically talking about over-researched places. so this is this is about place not just about you know, people who happen to live in a certain place or that you, you know, research by going to a, a place, but the place itself getting over-researched. And, you know, as a, a geographer, that especially, you know, is something that I was thinking about as I was, was reading the book. So, in, in what sense is a place, not just a group of people, getting over-researched?
1: Good question, yeah, because I guess, because I'm thinking of it from a social scientist approach, I'm always thinking about the people that I'm talking to, um but you're right this is about the places that's kind of the framing that we put on this and i think oh there's a lot of different ways in which you could you could come at that question but i think you know it's about how much knowledge is produced about one place and how that can shape as i said before like how that focus on a few places could kind of shift and change and warp the theories that we make and the places that then other people go to visit um but also that from the number of researchers being in a place that can change it can change the makeup of it if you end up with a serious number of researchers who are very often quite short term visitors in a city you know you, that's a different set of needs that those people have over the residents that are there um that you know when you go somewhere you're there for a month or so or six months or whatever then you might have different requirements you might have a different level of income um so again it's that positionality when you get to that point where the over research is is very high you could be changing what's provided there um you could be changing the the environment if there's lots of researchers you know going into the arctic um so i think yeah we're really thinking about that place and how it might physically change in those ways but as I said, it's also about how we make theories and decisions about places and you know, how policies made about places often reflects the research that's been done. And if that research is just on a limited number of these penny pot sites that lots of research is attracted to, then does that limit the decisions and the, the types of policies that might be made? So I think it does go beyond just the people and thinking about about place more generally.
0: Okay, and so then to to drill down a little bit into some specifics, you had mentioned that your personal experience with an over researched place was with Mumbai, and so I was hoping you could expand on that a little little bit and talk about you know for your your personal um, experience with that, how did you handle the issue of over research in your own work in that particular place?
1: Yeah, so Mumbai really does attract a lot of researchers and it was quite a difficult thing to navigate Um, and I think I dealt with some of it after the fact by reflecting on it in my methods and more broadly and, you know, explaining what's happened and being very clear about, you know, if a question in an interview was asked by someone else then thinking, well, actually... Do I make that clear or do I just not use the response to that question? So I'm thinking about time when I was talking to a representative from an NGO and there was myself who was doing a a PhD in human geography and I was looking at rainwater harvesting systems that are being implemented in domestic homes to um, improve the security of the water supplies. there was also someone talking to the same person and she was doing some research into social work within the same the same area of Mumbai. And so he just invited us both along to do the same interview. So then you're sort of thinking, well, I haven't got you know, I've I've got him to sign a consent forum, but I didn't, you know, bring something for this person because I didn't know she'd be there. Um, and then thinking about, well, you know, like, oh, well do I in in the end it ended up not being a problem but I was sort of thinking right how if he gives a really good answer to one of her questions how do I deal with that when I come to write it up but because her her what she wanted to know was so different from mine that kind of didn't come up but it was sort of like how do you steer it back and like be fair to both people so there was some of it was negotiating it in the room um and some of it was kind of after the fact when i'm writing it up just being honest and really trying to take that kind of feminist stance of you can't remove yourself or the context from your research you do have to acknowledge what happened who was there um, and that you're a part of it and that research is a messy process it's not this linear thing that happens and and you know you plan it carefully and you start at a and you end at b it tends to wind and change and evolve. Um, and so I really tried to acknowledge that and how the number of people did affect it. And, you know, that there was a whole class of school children um, speaking Marathi, which unfortunately I, I don't. i got a little bit of Hindi, but uh, I don't speak uh, Marathi, which is the, the majority language in Mumbai and of course they were more interesting than i was and sometimes you just have to go okay fair enough these primary school children are more interesting um and just sort of yeah i don't know i don't it it yeah it made it difficult but also super interesting and i think maybe writing this book was a way of dealing with it as well they get to find that oh it's not just me that's thinking about this and get some kind of catharsis from writing it out and talking about it um Because I think it does, you know, it made some things easier because people did open their doors to me, understand what research was, but it made some things harder because a lot of the research that people have been exposed to was either hard science or it was the kind of social science that is a clipboard and a a questionnaire, which isn't what I wanted to do. Um, I wanted to walk and talk and look at systems and have interviews and, you know, that people had an idea of what research was and it wasn't necessarily what I wanted to do. So yeah, in some ways it's easier because people understand research, but it can be difficult if that isn't exactly what you were, you were thinking of doing. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. That's uh, a, a thing that I appreciate about the book is that it, it shows some of this messiness of the research process that we usually kind of iron that all out when you write up, you know, an yeah, article and it makes it sound like you had this theory and you went to the place and you did the thing and got your answer. And it was all very, you know, linear and clean.
1: Um, it becomes sanitized, doesn't it? When most people write up their research, it's this very, yeah, sanitized version of what, of what happened because it shows what was achieved and doesn't show the problems that bumped up against him during the process. Yeah.
0: Yeah um so then i think the the natural next place to go is to ask so what what do we do about this because uh you know you argue that it's not enough to just say well some places are over-researched so everybody should pick new sites to do their research in um so what what's the what should we be doing to address the issues that you're raising about over research
1: wow the million dollar question yeah, we're not saying, oh, these places have too many people in them. Don't go there. i That's, you know, not what we're saying. And we actually wanted a question mark originally in the title. Um, but publishers do not like having punctuation in their titles. We wanted it to be over-researched places. Like, can they be? Like, is this what's is this what's happening? Um, because it was sort of a questioning of, of whether somewhere can be over-researched. Um, and I think that's kind of the key that it is about a questioning. It's about a reflection and being, I guess, reflexive rather than just, you know, going about and barging in and going places that everyone else does and and just doing the research without reflecting on why have I chosen this place and what does it mean that there was lots of research already written about this place? What does it mean that I'm meeting other researchers while i'm here and i think that for us was where we ended up that we really think about it and be purposeful in our choices and understand Mm -hmm. what this means for the research that we do and the theories that we generate or the future research that we then go and do um so yeah i don't think we have a magic formula for dealing with or overcoming research uh, over research um, I think there's some suggestions in some of the chapters, people sharing what they did, how they dealt with it, either in the time or in their reflections of ways they might go forwards with it. So I think each chapter perhaps suggests a slightly different tack that you could take uh, when you're thinking about how to deal with this over-researched issue, if we think of it as a problem um but it might be that you look at this and think oh actually no I really want to go to this place that lots of other people have been to and there's all this rich data already existing and all these things written on it and I think that that's fine it's just having that thought having thinking through that process and having that reflection so it really is a big call to just look this is an interesting thing let's think about this some more and purposefully approach it um, and reflect that in, in the theories that we then make about places.
0: All right. So then as we're moving towards the end of our time here, uh, I wanted to give you an opportunity to give a shout out or a thank you to anyone whose help was important to you as you were putting this book together.
1: Oh, that, that wasn't the question I was expecting. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, uh, well, a massive shout out to the other editor, Gerald Taylor Aitken, um, I think it was great to collaborate with him and we worked really well together and really nice to continue a relationship with someone who you met during your PhD and, you know, continue that contact and, and actually create something together. So massive shout out to Jerry, um, and to the editors at, at Routledge and Taylor Francis group. It's always a very confusing, the relationship between those, those two things, um, changed a few times, but they were all very helpful, um, and yeah, just thank you so much to all of the authors for getting their things written and uh, responding to our comments, um, even if we took ages to uh, get those comments together. Just a massive thank you to all of the chapter authors, because I think this is a, a great collection of really different perspectives. Um, so yeah, thanks to everyone, really. <laughs>
0: All right. Yeah, and no, I'll mention for our listeners, that we did try to get Gerald on, but it was just got too complicated with the time coordination because we're we're in three different countries. Uh, you know, Kat, you're in uh, the UK. I'm in the United States, yeah. and uh, Gerald's in Luxembourg. Right.
1: That's correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so three different there. time zones. Really difficult. Yeah. Um,
0: okay, so then that brings us to our traditional final question, which is, what are you working on next? Ooh.
1: Well, at the moment, I'm involved in more research into water, which is my my real focus. And I'm involved into UKRI, GCRF, hubs, one of which focuses on water security and sustainable development. And in that one, I'm looking at kind of how we value water beyond it being H2O and beyond monetary values, thinking about the cultural significances of water. Um, and how it's really important to understand what water means to people if you're going to come up with solutions for it or any kind of policy about water if you want that to be effective you really need to to understand how people feel about their water Um, and the other one is living deltas which is thinking about livelihoods in deltas and they're both quite worldwide um, projects and super interesting thinking about our relationships with water fundamentally Um, yeah. And some of those might be over research places, uh, of course. Mm-hmm. Maybe I can reflect on that as well. But um, that's what I'm working on at the moment. And hopefully, hopefully we'll write some things from that.
0: All right. Well, if, if any of the writing turns into a book, we'd love to have you back to talk about it.
1: Oh, I would love that. Great.
0: Right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: You're very welcome. Thanks.
0: This has been a conversation with Kat Button, editor, along with Gerald Taylor Aiken of over-researched places, towards a critical and reflexive approach. Published this year by Rutledge.